As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Futile predictions for England's 2030 World Cup team, the FA Cup Romantic Starter Kit, retro TV shows, why do commentators keep saying the word foot race, and stolen football chants. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 59 of the Football Cliches Pod. I'm Adam Hurry and with me once again is Charlie Eccleshare. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, alongside you for the latest edition of Mesut Harlan Dix. He's a hopeless romantic for the beautiful game. He's also the Mirror's chief football writer. It's John Cross. Welcome. Thank you very much indeed. And it's absolutely fantastic to be with you. I, I, honestly, oh. guys, it's a real real pleasure and honour to be. Because, you know, I've listened, listened to the show previously and I loved yeah. it. And also, yeah, you're, you're one of my favourite followers, Adam, on, on, <laughs> on, 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 on Twitter. So let me get the let me get in the compliments. And you're wonderful as well, Charlie. Let, let me get <laughs> the compliments in early so you'll be nice to me. <laughs> oh, existence justified already. This is great. What a wonderful start. Um, it's like a, this is like Sunday Supplement. This is the closest we're going to get to being like Sunday Supplement. Um, well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah probably yeah. be the closest I'll ever get to it again, really. But you know, I scrapped it. Um, can we well, also, yeah, I mean, while we have you, can we, can we set a really important debate in my mind? Are, are you crossy? Do you prefer a Y or an IE? There doesn't. <laughs> I think we need a kind of universal acceptance on this. 
Well, I actually, I yeah, I like Crossy, and everyone calls me Crossy, and I always sign myself as IE. IE, oh. okay, interesting. Do, do you think that IE is just a bit, is, it, is a bit more sort of, I don't know, friendlier than the, the harsh Y? If it is, I'd like to think that would be the reason why, but <laughs> yeah. I've never really yeah. thought about it. But basically, subconsciously, no, that's why. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I've just you just get into a habit, don't you? And I'm definitely, mm. yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely crossing, and I'm definitely IE. I think really, I don't know why. Right. And it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's strange. I'm hurry, crossy, and Charlie. Yeah, football <laughs> cliches pod exclusive revealed yes. the, uh, yeah. the truth, the real truth. The real big stories straight away, right at the very start. But um, before we get stuck into your selections for Mesut Harland, Dix, um, we've got the adjudication panel to deal with this week. First of all, um, football is indeed coming home, Charlie, mm. um, uh, allegedly. Uh, the 2030 World Cup, hopefully, God, I hope so, is coming to England, home. But we, we could talk all day about the merits or, or lack thereof of, of the World Cup being hosted in England. But um, given that it's only nine years away... Isn't it time we started predicting England's 2030 World Cup team uh, and producing very, very speculative graphics in newspapers about it? Um, there was a time when we were really obsessed with doing this. Yeah, I, I was thinking like this might be too niche even for us, but there's probably a team to be done of the most fu- predicted for future World Cup players team. And my mind goes yeah. to Richard Wright, who I feel was... <laughs> when, when I think future England World Cup teams, I just think, right, start with Richard Wright. And in my head, maybe he's st- maybe by 2030, that will be his time. There's been a couple of sort of classic examples from this strange era where we were obsessed with picking future World Cup teams, Crossy. Um, the BBC in 2003 unveiled their team to win Euro 2008, <laughs> which which was a very solid team. And given that it was only five years away, it wasn't hugely speculative. It wasn't full of sort of um, promising um, youngsters with the world at their feet. So it had, it had a um, very forward-thinking back three with Rio Ferdinand at its heart, brother Anton Ferdinand alongside him, and then Eduardo ankle-breaking Martin Taylor, which was the wild card pick. Oh, oh, David Dunn was in midfield, John. I mean, it, it wasn't miles away from being true. It had a strike partnership of Owen and Rooney but this whole process is fraught with danger isn't it I mean, it, it it's really right is. for being retrospectively ripped apart yeah Richard Wright wasn't what well, isn't yeah won't, won't go down as a sort of an England legend really will he <laughs> although he did, he did sort of flirt with it didn't he mm, the sort of number one jersey and then being a proper proper England international there um, but yeah Martin Taylor I've never I've never heard of anything so you know, daft at the time. I mean, I guess he was probably what was he? England Youth International. Because I, I, I mean, the, so. the the trap we always fall into is during the last five years or so, we've bigged up all these England players coming through the lower leagues and lower divisions, and that you know the amazing sort of kind of you know pathway from non-league into superstardom. Yeah. You know whether that's sort of kind of Nick Pope or, or whoever it might be, sort of thing, and or Jamie Vardy, and suddenly that suddenly they're superstars, but for someone like me, who inevitably, after England's ultimate, you know, and, uh, you know, demise, which is always coming, it's inevitable, <laughs> isn't it? I always get asked for my next tournament team, what yeah. is going to be the tournament, you know, the team. And the only thing that I want, I sort of cling to is that basically, and I know this is, you know, people say, oh, yeah, but it was sort of in the England system. 2018, I was, I remember sort of getting a train journey back from, you know, the sort of semi-final cross-country to, to Russia with the rest of the um, press corps. And sure enough, we all had to come up with our team for the for, um, for the World Cup 2022. And the mm. one that I thought, no, that's not going to be right. I'm not sure about that. Really, will he make it at his club or, or anything like that? It's Mason Mount. Mm. 
Oh, right. And I was talking to a few people. You know, we do actually promise you, I pr- promise you we put in a few calls about this, not dreamed <laughs> off the top of my head. And then basically I said, go on, you know, what what do you think? And so, it did, yeah, there's sort of a an agent stroke scout sort of thing basically said to me, Mason Mount, Mason Mount, just watch. He's going to be the best, you know, kind mm. of England playmaking midfielder. Um, and obviously that divides opinion, clearly. <laughs> yeah. But basically, I just, I was, I was, I was kind of, I'm quite proud of that one actually. Yeah, it's come true because he was nowhere at the time. To to put it in context, he was kind of a young kid at Chelsea. He was tipped for things, but come on, how many of those go through the system? So I was just wondering, on, on looking at this team sheet, I wonder if that Taylor is almost just more of a speculative punt. It's quite a common name. Could that also cover Stephen Taylor and Ryan Taylor, who were sort of also knocking around at the time? It was definitely Martin Taylor, I can assure you. Um, That's a huge yeah. call. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a theory about what it, why it might have been very shortly. But Charlie, there's another classic example of this. And it, and it taps into what we've just been talking about, about sort of pinpointing youngsters who are up and coming and, and then assuming that they are going to stick around. But um, the, the Daily Mail in 2007 produced a team for what was um, widely accepted to be the 2014 World Cup team. Uh, they had Ben Amos in goal for Manchester United, a back mm-hmm. four of Sam Hutchinson, Captain Micah Richards, Gavin Hoyt and uh, Liverpool left back Robbie Threlfall. And midfield three are Dean Parrott of Spurs, Michael Johnson of Manchester City, James Henry of Reading, and then a dynamic front three of Theo Walcott, uh, slightly dubious centre forward Jose Baxter, and Scott Sinclair on the other on the other wing. Now, Charlie, I mean, back then, sort of 2007, picking youngsters like that might have felt like a a, a safe bet, only for it to turn out, you know, that they fell by the wayside. But I think maybe in 2021, if we're looking ahead, maybe six, seven, eight, nine years. I think it's more of a time-proof task simply because there are so many incredibly good English youngsters that aren't just knocking around academies. They're actually playing first-team football. Maybe we should bring back the art of predicting World Cup teams because I think it's safer now. We're going to be okay. Yeah, possibly. There's probably also so much more, as Crossy alluded to there, you know, the, with, with someone like Mason Mount, there's probably a lot more of that that goes on of the kind of the... the, the uh, the diligent sort of checking of who who's knocking mm. around at the academies yeah, and and I think as well um certainly I remember doing a piece on this around about a year ago on kind of the next big thing and predicting the next big thing and one of the things that they always say is so hard is because of you know it comes down really to quite boring things like who's the most dedicated who's the most uh you know who has the best attitude and these sort of things and I feel like mm. now there's maybe a bit more of an awareness of that so it's not just the who's the kind of the flavour of the month at that moment, which, uh, I mean, yeah, M- Michael Johnson, I feel he's another one who was always yeah. tipped to be not just good, but to be like the greatest player. Mm. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe we're a little more circumspect about that now. A little subgenre of these teams, John, I mean, and they, they tend to be sort of based around sort of whippet-like strikers, um, sort of, you know, who can run 100 metres in 10.6 seconds at the age of 16 or something like that. But there's always one figure, and this may explain why Martin Martin Taylor appeared in that, in that BBC speculative 11. Um, there's this idea that you can pick a future England captain mm. at the age of sort of 18, 19. <laughs> and why, do people, why, is it so, why is it so important that we sort of hang this label on certain youngsters and what is it about a certain player that makes him a future England captain do you know what my theory is it's just that they're massive massive (laughs) players that's it I think they've got to be this kind of tub thumping you know passionate you know really run through brick walls kind of amazing sort of perceived leader haven't they to be England captain 
I don't know whether that always works, really, because, <laughs> you know, let's so. be honest, in recent times, it probably hasn't, has it? <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, you know, where, where, where do you go with it now? I mean, you know, there's kind of the whole Kane-Henderson debate. Where, where, why did we suddenly end up with, with, with Harry Kane? I mean, it was, mm. it, you know, he's, Gareth Southgate clearly went with the kind of, you know, best best kid in this playground sort of, the, the, you know, theory on, on sort of yeah. choosing a captain, your most important player, basically, and goals-wise, he obviously is. Um, but it's, it's a strange one, because how on earth do you know, mm. you know, that, that basically... I bet you that if you trawled through it at some point or other, Connor Cody would have, mm. picked, would have been picked... When he was Great when shout. he was a, a Liverpool, you know, youngster, but also in the England youth teams, because someone had someone had said, "Oh, this guy's a bit loud." He's yeah. the loudest guy I've ever. I mean, incredible. I mean, <laughs> I, I remember watching his first England star in uh, against Denmark in Copenhagen, mm. and all of a sudden you've got this guy bellowing out. It's his debut against much yeah. more, you know, sort of senior players. You know, sort of like within a minute of the game starting. Go on, big lad. Go on, big man. <laughs> go and win that ball. And I'm thinking, you know, it's Jordan Henderson in front of you or whatever it might be. <laughs> just that's thinking, that's you know, real future yeah, England yeah, Absolutely. Too. You know, so you've <laughs> just got to be a big big shouter, basically. That's what it comes down to. I wonder if other countries even do this. Like, I was just going to say, that feels Spain like... Spain sort of pick out, oh, he's a future Spain captain. Yeah. They don't even care about their captains, let alone picking them 15 years in advance. Feels like a very English preoccupation. And I yeah, love as definitely. well the... As if picking an 11 isn't hard enough, I love the kind of giving yourself the additional challenge of I'm also going to pick a captain for this totally hypothetical <laughs> yes. and impossible it adds a kind team. Of, it adds a sort of element of authenticity to yeah. what I've really thought about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, this so. is a proper team. Yeah, it's fine. And who's going to be the physio as well in 2020? Yeah. As well, yeah. Is there another... Who's the next Lewin? There yeah, must exactly. be another one on the production line. Um, we asked our listeners to suggest some current youngsters who we can doom to failure by selecting them already in the 2030 England World Cup squad. Assuming we qualify, you might even not. Um, tacit approval, says Mason Greenwood, who I think is, Charlie, I think he's too established already at first team level to be speculated upon. I mean, he, you could safely put him in the team, but I don't think he's, I don't think uh, you, you're doing that with any peril. Yeah, I mean, when I, another one I sort of think of in this bracket from the past is sort of Michael Mancien, who again, <laughs> see, but, but but before he'd ever really played or you know, someone like that level. I'd still put him in the level. team. Yeah, exactly. Still he, he's, he's still thirty three. Yeah. So yeah, I think it has to be someone who yeah has played a little bit less than than Greenwood. Maybe who's who's the person who made their debut recently for United? Who was like fifteen years old? Oh, Shola Shuraturi. Mm. Yeah, he, yeah, he's 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 a good candidate for someone we can basically write off his career just by putting in this sort of thing. Yeah. Which someone said to me inevitably, obviously recently, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. probably his agent, but uh, basically said <laughs> he is the he is going to be. Don't worry about it. He's going to be even better than Greenwood. And I just wow. love oh, that. Right. I mean, I yeah, just yeah, love yeah. that kind of. Don't worry, he's going to be even better kind of theory. You know, do you remember that with Gary yeah. Neville and Gary Neville and then Phil Neville? Phil Neville's <laughs> going to be even better than Gary, and that was mm. kind of the thing that haunted Phil for sibling. about two years. Mm. I think he's always the younger thing. sibling who turns yeah, out to be yeah. better. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And it rarely um, works out like that, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, finally, Wizards as Drivel say that we should always include one player who won't actually end up declaring to play for England. Um, so I feel like Jamal Musiala of Bayern Munich has just got just got out of this equation in time by declaring for Germany, so he's out. Um, so uh, yeah, people like sort of Victor Moses who were tipped for England stardom and then ended up playing for for Nigeria. So I think yeah, I think we've covered all the bases for this speculative England eleven without actually choosing it, and I don't want to get into it. Um, before we get into uh, for the main event today, I know this happened on Sunday, which in football content years makes 
makes it one million years ago, <laughs> but still, the TV spectacle that was Jamie Redknapp versus Roy Keane, it, it, it was a, it was kind of this, this kind of ebbing and flowing, um, brilliant exchange. But there were there were a few seconds of it that I'd like to play for us, uh, which I think were just a magnificent piece of TV presenting by Sky's David Jones. I think the back four isn't good enough. But I'll tell you what, Reggion is as good a left-back as there is in the country, yeah. so I think you've got that one wrong. I think he's a, he's a class player. That's I why Real Madrid let him go. Not got any That's confidence. Why, Madrid, why, why do you think Real Madrid let him what, go? So you're saying he's not, does that matter? Oh, because Real Madrid let him go. That doesn't make him a good player. Yeah, but how much did they let him go for? How much did they let him go for? It sounds like they paid 60, they 70 million. They might be able to buy him back, actually. They're saying, Doherty's playing for Wolves. Crossy, I mean... That, that that exchange was already doing doing incredibly well. I mean, it really was evolving in the best possible way. And then for David Jones just to go in there with a little correction that, that Real Madrid could indeed buy Reggie on back if they wanted to. Um, just wonderful, wonderful kind of refereeing of the whole exchange, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And oh, the other the other you know thing that David Jones um, slipped in right at the end, he said, Jamie. Take a deep breath now. <laughs> yeah, that down. was the bit. That was the bit when I saw on the email that we had a, a David Jones suburban interjection. I thought it was going to be that one. It was like Jamie, you know, take a breath, take a breath. I thought so that was good. great. And then yeah. basically the thing was, it went back. The, the camera then pans back to Jamie as David Jones is saying that. <laughs> And Jamie Redknapp has literally got steam coming out of his ears at this point because he's, you can tell, I think sometimes it's a little bit staged, it's a little bit uh, overblown, but there was proper tension there, wasn't there? I really enjoyed it. And I I thought it was absolutely terrific. I mean, someone someone did actually text me a little theory that basically Jamie Redknapp was never really quite like Roy Keane because Roy Keane was very dismissive of the Liverpool midfield, including Mm. him, for Mm. being a little bit lightweight down the years. So maybe they've got a bit of history and that's behind it but I loved it I did think it was I think it was I thought it was great and Jamie Redknapp is so right about Reggion I know I loved how how passionate he was about Reggion it was great but he's super though Charlie isn't he I I really like Reggion he makes a huge difference to um, yeah to how they can play who actually won that argument, Charlie, in, in your eyes? I mean, it's hard to say. I think it was like a really, really sort of spirited 3 all draw. Yeah, I mean... I, I two, inst- two very contrasting styles. But, I instinctively uh... banked back the underdog, who was Jamie, who was definitely Jamie <laughs> yes. Redknapp in that instance. You know, the way Key was just sort of sat back so dismissively. So I, I think I... I uh, yeah, instinctively was on Redknapp's side. Um, but it, I, yeah, I think it was, a, it was a score draw probably in the end. Yeah. Re- Regulon was a, was a late equaliser, I think. I think that was a, yeah, that you know, was a good a, point. A good zinger in from from Redknapp late doors. Mm. Yeah, but I saw, otherwise, I sort of you could you could see the cogs whirring in Redknapp's head, trying to trying to get himself back on the rails yeah. as as Keane leant back in his chair, very sure about himself. Yeah. Uh, but he hung in there like a boxer on the ropes. He did. So, I, I do uh, yeah. I do worry a little bit about Roy King just because I think he's mm. going to have a shelf life. He's mm. the shock really? jock. I do yeah. think he's really entertaining, but I just feel as if. Don't get me wrong, I'm quite enjoying him and he has his moments, but they're just like on Sunday, I thought, really? You know, come yeah. on. Reggion's a class, mm. class player. And I was just thinking, you're doing that for effect. And I yeah. think that sort of thing sometimes has a limited shelf life. And I think probably just like Roy Keane found in a few of his managerial jobs, <laughs> <laughs> rather like the dressing room, I think the audience will only listen to his rants for so long, to be honest. Um, yeah, just yeah. I, I I think you may be right. I think that 
situation may have peaked. I don't think we're going to get an exchange like that again this season that quite hit the high notes like that did. But perhaps our next segment will, Crossy, because it's Mesut Harland Dix. This is the recurring segment of Football Clichés where our star guest will choose three things they love or just find oddly charming about the beautiful game and three things that they hate or just find, you know, utterly irritating. Let's start with your loves. Tell us about your first one. Well... (laughs) My my loves. The first one is that basically, listen, empty stadiums and we all miss fans. Of course we do. Goes without saying. Absolutely. But the, the only positive, I think, is that the fact that you can hear every single word in that empty stadium <laughs> from players, from managers, from players screaming, mm. you know, in the, in that you know, horrible moment where they come on. I mean, someone sometimes when someone taps a little bit of their toe, you know, to suddenly <laughs> hear this gut-wrenching scream straight out of a, you know, Halloween horror movie is, is frankly, <laughs> is just too much. But equally, it's fantastically entertaining and you quickly, you know, gather these things. I was at Chelsea on Sunday and it was just brilliant to sort of kind of see that Harry Maguire and Olivier Giroud Went for went for a ball. Olivier Giroud just basically, you know, stuck his boot up. Harry Maguire nicked it away, and kind of the boot went vaguely close, but never touched Harry Maguire's head. Yeah. And then basically, all of a sudden, Maguire's squealing in pain. And then, you know, clearly, Olivier Giroud never touched him, and then then screamed back at you know Maguire, <laughs> "Why lie?" And it was just brilliant, <laughs> it was just fantastic entertainment. And, and some of the managers are great, you know, and some yeah. of the managers are just fantastic and it's so revealing I've seen a completely different side or, or he's not getting the tune out of his players at the moment Ra- mm. Ralph um, Hasenhutl who is mm. the most you know vociferous loudest most direct manager with his players he just literally is kicking every ball he's telling every player where to position themselves where to move in every scenario, in every second of every minute of every match, it's amazing the energy that he puts into into his team and his, into his players. It's just astonishing, and those sort of things are just it makes you look at players and managers yeah. in such a different way. It's so amazingly revealing. I mean, it's it's the only kind of positive thing. I don't know whether it comes across even on the TV. I think in watching it, sometimes it does, and you can hear little excerpts but being there particularly close often because of the you know current setup with set in random places sometimes it's even more revealing and even closer to to the protagonist in this situation but it's 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 such an eye-opener it really has been I I completely agree I don't like it's funny you say on Southampton because one of one of my biggest revelations is how much of a little shit James Ward Prowse is. <laughs> I've been watching this guy for years. In my mind, this is he, it. Yeah. He was this elegant, cultured, ball playing midfielder. I watched them um, in in the Spurs game earlier this season, and he was you know those guys when you play Sunday League or whatever who's just doesn't shut up, yapping away, <laughs> leaving his. This is what I wanted time. to ask. I was like, I, I would have yeah. had no idea from watching that mm. on TV, and it's it's such a great insight. Little things. Martin Atkinson has a really thick northern accent. Never <laughs> knew that. These are huge revelations. <laughs> I think. I think. Um, Crossy, this 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 year, this kind of unique year of football is going to be a fascinating case study for a lot of people to look back on and, and sort of take some 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 revelations from that we would never have been able to find before i i am i'm fascinated by the the, the why lie remark because it's it's an example of some tiny little conversations and debates between two players on a pitch that you know without being a full-on slanging match that we, you would never have been able to hear before so um 
I guess a lot of it has kind of surprised you a bit rather than the kind of the, the you know the real kind of foghorns like Hazenhuttle um, you've probably heard kind of some really kind of mundane chat that you never would have before oh it's amazing it's been amazing mm. yeah absolutely and you, you do see it funny enough particularly at Chelsea because of the way that you're sort of stretched out across the stands sometimes you can end up about three or four rows from the front you've kind of got the substitutes there you know, to, to, what do they to talk ride. about? What do they talk well, about during a game? Well, the subs. It, it, the subs. It was. It was really interesting. Towards the end of last <laughs> season, I was over the other side. Uh, Chelsea played Man City, yeah. and basically, I was incredibly, incredibly close to uh, Leroy Sane, and yeah. Leroy Sane was just. I mean, he was just. I forget who the other player. I think it was uh, Stuart Taylor. I think. Mm. Um, the, the 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 you know the, the another future the, English goalkeeper absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> straight out of the England yeah. World Cup team for twenty <laughs> for twenty eighteen um, but it, it just and that, it sort of kind of they were just having the most revealing sort of you know um, maybe it was Richard Wright I don't know but um, maybe it, it was um, it was definitely the, the, the definitely the reserve keeper who's probably the third choice but that Scott Carson oh who's Scott it was Scott Carson it was I forgive you for getting the more mixed up yes yeah, I forgive you for getting he was definitely there the <laughs> and, and then basically it was just so revealing it kind of there was a bit yeah. of banter about uh, you know kind of Leroy Sane was just about to leave everyone knew it and it was just you know, <laughs> just, yeah, you know just sort of kind of cocky and yeah. I mean, I tell you what, the other one who I just, I mean, I should have realised realized this and twigged this, but Roy Hodgson at Palace, Ray <laughs> Lewington. Oh, I hear it. Ray <laughs> Lewington. You can hear it on the telly because obviously there's no crowd in there. So that comes mm. across, but he is so loud and he <laughs> never stops. And yeah. he is just, you know, he's ever such a you know, nice fellow, Ray. And then basically engaging um sort of character and stuff and but so full of enthusiasm and it's like Roy Hodgson there sort of you know stands back and just lets his you know his kind of uh sort Attack of you know dog. do dogs of war basically <laughs> unleashed at the team to try and get them through the game it's amazing final point on this one uh Charlie, obviously we're talking from a kind of journalist perspective, you know, getting a little bit of extra insight that we never would have done before. But um, whenever I watch a, an episode of, say, Premier League years, for example, which is a daily occurrence for me, of course, <laughs> um, uh, you'll see the kind of the dugout at Old Trafford, for example, that kind of like that lovely kind of brick mm -hmm. wall, which, which conjures up memories of Zone 4 shopping centres. And um, and sort of Ferguson will be sat there seething about something. And then you'll, you'll notice, of course, that the fans are sat right behind mm. him. And I always think that's a really weird kind of situation because they could probably hear what they're saying and opposite yeah. and, like, and, and in reverse. Ferguson could probably hear some sort of grumbling behind him. I wouldn't dare moan about a game with Sir Alex Ferguson sat in front of me. Um, that always makes me just feel really uncomfortable just seeing that image, just thinking what goes on in that sort of yeah. two square you, yards. You can imagine there being an instance where he did hear and then had a set two with an he argument. If, I, I guess if, there, if it wasn't such a period of uninterrupted success, there might have been a bit <laughs> yeah. more than that. You, you can imagine that. that. But yeah. I do think as well, just, just finishing on the crowds, one thing I've been reassured by, I guess because all the detailed tactical stuff is done days, weeks in advance, is that actually on the pitch, much of what they're saying is very Sunday league. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a lot of that kind of, you know, asking for the ball, getting at people, you know, attitude, focus, all of that mm. sort of stuff. So it's kind of, to me, reassuring that, you know, at least what we're seeing, um, there's this like elite sparkly product, but with just a little dash of Sunday league and, you know, second balls, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, I just, I just want clarification before fans come back 
that uh, whenever someone wins a booming header in the centre circle, someone will read out their full name in congratulations. Has to be full name. Yeah. yeah. Different class, <laughs> Harry Maguire. Yes. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to your second item, Crossy. Um, this was um, perhaps not unexpected. No, no. I, <laughs> listen, I know that <laughs> I, I always, I almost become a bit of a cliche in banging this, drum, but it's the welcome. It, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly, and this is why I love, I love following you quite, quite so much because it is, it's you know, it is hugely entertaining for someone like me who's just so passionate about football. And my <laughs> one of my biggest passions of all is, and sorry uh, again, cliche, you know. Uh, in, in advance, <laughs> excuse me, please. FA Cup. I just love okay. the FA Cup. I think I know it's obvious. Of course it is, but I absolutely. I just think it's it's great, and I've never ever stopped shying away from those kind of. I like those, you know, first and second round stories of kind of you know non-league and sort of lower league stories in the previews. Third round weekend, I think there's nothing else like it. I think it's amazing, the upsets. <laughs> and yes, I know all those kind of hackneyed cliches or previews about kind <laughs> oh, we'll of get it, we'll get stuck being into rejected those, from the yeah. Premier League team. I mean, they always end up facing their old team and coming back to haunt them, don't they? The kind of the guy that's dropped out and then basically become part-time. It's just brilliant. And I just love that. And I think the day we lose, you know, another strain of its magic, is another yep. day we we're kind of surrendering to the kind of the the uh, you know big money nature of the Premier League. Which listen, we all love the Premier League, but come on, it's the romance as well. Yeah, and I just well, love that aspect of the of the FA Cup. Grew up thinking the FA Cup was as big as winning the league, um, and then kind of I've ne- you know obviously it's not, but I still think it's an amazing competition that makes the rest of the world jealous. It really does. Okay, well. It would be wouldn't be this podcast if we didn't interrogate some of these some of these sentiments yes, and some of these some of these standpoints and to to a large extent I agree with you or at least I would have done until I was about uh, I, I don't know in my mid twenties and then I mean I'm, maybe I'm maybe I'm a classic case study for people who have kind of di- become disillusioned by the FA Cup but my first thing is it, it, and the way you kind of introduced this segment was was quite telling you seem almost kind of semi apologetic for loving the FA Cup. Uh, do you feel like you're becoming kind of this kind of decreasing minority of people who really care about it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it annoys me that basically I, I got really one of my colleagues tweeting about it, you know, sort of saying, oh, the magic's gone. I think, you know, I just think it, it, I like it's a breath of fresh air for me as a journalist to cover it. I mean, I did okay. Crawley, Crawley leads in the in the in the third round I mean that's a brilliant that's a great scoreline what an upset what a story you know it's great from a so from a journalistic professional point of view thought that was that was amazing sort of you know that, that was great and yeah I do feel as if a lot there's a lot of cynicism there a lot mm-hmm. of people fall into this trap that say no one no one's interested anymore well actually the viewing figures on terrestrial tv are fantastic and also that basically if you look and do the research on the actual attendances which obviously isn't applicable this season they've been on the rise 
And I, mm. I, you know, I think that it's it's you can't also underestimate. I think for League One, League Two teams, about how important the cup is to them. And I just think we sometimes we we get caught in the trap. I think of just living in this ivory tower of the Premier League and basically mm. not, you know, not thinking about kind of the the lower divisions a little bit. So I think it is for the. It's not just the romance of it, but it's for the greater good yeah. of the game. I think that basically we need the FA Cup for paydays. For a bit of romance, for something to play to play for and look forward to, Charlie. Yeah, we've we, we've covered the romance of it, and we we've touched on on this supposed demise of the FA Cup in certain people's eyes. But let's let's investigate the reasons why this may have happened. And I put to you, Charlie, that maybe the FA Cup kind of mythology machine has just run out of steam, because for maybe two or three generations of people, they have been they have been fed this this romance relentlessly to the point where it's become kind of commodified uh, it's it, you know it's become part of the product of the FA Cup without instead of being a natural thing for example how many times did we need to interview the guy who scored for Sutton against Coventry in 1989 <laughs> um Crossy cover your ears but Keith Houchin's header in 1987 not that good wasn't that good <laughs> oh, it, it was okay, it really was no <laughs> no come that on that was a classic was, final by the way it, it was a sunny day at Wembley that's <laughs> Um, if it had happened on a Wednesday night in the pre- in the, in the first division at the time, you would have said pretty good game. But yeah, I won't be thinking about that. Now. I, I, yeah, I, but that's fine. And and finally, Charlie, the magic of the FA Cup, which I cons- I completely agree was slash is a thing, is based on some very unreliable foundations. One, a very good cup draw, and then two, an upset, which in itself is based on someone being shit, unexpectedly, and someone worse than them being miles better than they could ever have hoped. Those are lots of moving variable parts that you can't possibly pin your hopes on. So quite frankly, did the FA Cup eat itself? Well, I do think there was an issue. And I think for me, I, I like the FA I'm I, Like with most of these things, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I, I like it. I maybe don't have the same, quite the same passion. But I think the something that happened to me, and I think to some people, is that when you sometimes get the magic rammed down your throat too much... And and it almost feels like there's too much of a desire because because sometimes there are things that are amazing shocks and I think when there are that's great and we should celebrate them. My problem I think was when you know you'd be 20 minutes into a game with Premier League Watford who had rested most of their team and they were being held by a League Two out and it was like this is extraordinary. I mean, can you would you credit it? And it's kind of like. When there's genuinely amazing things, let's celebrate them. But let's not kind of impose the magic where it's not really magical and it's more kind of functional. Also, Crossy, the FA Cup is simply football. And football um, at times, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying a conservative 30% of the time, is really dull. Like, it's really boring. Like, you're never going to be able to get away from that. The FA Cup cannot be inherently magic all the time. No, it can't be. And do you know what? I'm really guilty. And I, I open, you know... I, I hold my hands up to this of, of doing exactly what Charlie um, has just accused me of doing. Really, uh, in that basically, <laughs> no, the more you. people rail against it and the, says uh, the magic is gone, and and I think you're right, Charlie. By the way, I do I do think that you know people can see for themselves. Basically, they don't need to be told that you know kind of Watford have just made the whole sale changes. They changed the whole team. So guess what? They might be losing now. Um, you know, it's, they don't need to be told. But I'm completely guilty of loving the FA Cup so much that I rail against that. 
and I go the <laughs> other way and kind of ram it down people's throats because I'm so angry <laughs> at basically people not loving the FA Cup, not appreciating its magic. But I do the think the FA that... Cup is your XG, isn't it? Yeah, That's well, it. exactly. We'll now you understand. Now you understand how it must feel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just, it, I just think that the the thing that we probably overlook is the fact that that sort of you know someone like Guardiola who who came to English football and just loves the and fed off the domestic cup competitions. The same Jose Mourinho at, at Chelsea first time around. What did he do? He first trophy he won League Cup and basically is always taking the domestic cups, you know, fairly seriously with de- varying degrees of success on on, on that front because now he needs them obviously as as, as Tottenham manager. Yes. But I do think this season has 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 given back a little bit just because the the strange and unique nature of the FA Cup in terms of a mid a full round midweek mm-hmm. one off ties which i think are the future you know we can't put our heads in the sand and say it can't ever ever change but that that has given it a little bit more excitement hardly did any go to to have any you know any big ties gone to gone to penalties yet no i don't think sure. so that i can think ex- of so much extra time but yeah i can't it's, think of it's, you know and why is that it's because every team has gone for it and because they know what's coming basically so you know they but mm. they don't play subconsciously even for for the replay they just go for it and i think that's added even more spice. So I love the FA. Yeah, brings me back to the point. I love the <laughs> FA Cup. <laughs> okay, so let, let, let's try. Now and that's let's... not a football cliches pod exclusive. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, that, that 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 was a banker. But um, I, I feel it's important that we kind of codify what it means to be a uh, FA Cup romanticist. So I've got three questions for you, and if you can satisfy two of these, then I will happily accept you okay. as a as a kind of you know, unfixable FA Cup apologist. Uh, first of all, have you ever made a tin foil FA Cup? <laughs> no. No! I've got to be honest. <laughs> Call yourself an FA Cup lover. I've never, I was, even as a kid, I was never <laughs> ever big on kind of um, scarves or, or woolly hats or, you know, or anything. Uh-huh. Do, do, there was a phase in the 80s. I don't know whether, you know, certainly not now, but basically this is close as I ever got was wearing a, a, a hat, basically, <laughs> which had your team on one side and the Scottish and a Scottish team on the other. Do you remember those? A Scottish they team were such a big thing that basically it was a massive fad for about three or four years in, in, in the 80s in... in in old football, if you like, yeah, and yeah. basically, I did, I did have one, and it was, yeah, it was. <laughs> well, look, I'm not, I'm not massively letting off a state secret here, but it was Arsenal one side and Dundee United on the other. But you how many different combinations have, did they have? Well, I mean, you, yeah, you basically there would be random street sellers with these with these hats and with the, I mean, they were sort of you know <laughs> woolly hats basically. Without, I'd say bubble okay. hats, but no bubbles. And basically, you'd have endless people walking around with whether it's Chelsea Rangers, uh, Tottenham Celtic, <laughs> that about right. and it was just so it was one, one of those team things. twinned with another. Yeah, one English team was twinned with a Scottish, with a Scottish team. team, and it was it was Mind such blind. a big thing for two or three seasons. It was massive, massive, along with kind of yeah wedge wedge cuts and. And trying to be a, <laughs> trying to be sort of wearing all the labels that you could manage to to be a casual, and that that no, was no, that was the eighties being a football fan. We've gun. gone off on an unacceptable tangent here. <laughs> Sorry, um, 
the fact remains that you did not have a tinfoil FA Cup. No, you, so no. Therefore, therefore, you need to get the next two. Otherwise, you're going to have to renounce okay. and you're going to have to become like a Carabao Cup enthusiast or something. Have you ever waved a team coach off to Wembley on Cup final day? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I'm, I, no. you know, I've kind of watched it and sort of followed it. I guess I have you know, from a virtual sense, but I wasn't ah. there at the hotel. But I guess I, guess I have. Doing a Jamie Redknapp thing, flailing against my keen lead um uh, interrogation i'm going to interpret that as you having not waved a team okay. coach off but i will allow you a, a, a secondary one here have you ever ne- have you ever eaten a cupcake sold by a local baker um whose whose team are hosting a uh, potential giant killing no no goodness me falling apart at the very seams your love for the fa cup well the third question is pretty much academic really but have you ever got, um watched the entire build up to an fa cup final on tv from 8am onwards oh 100% Oh, okay. oh yeah, so oh, without a shadow of doubt, not never missing a minute. I mean, I absolutely loved, I loved all that. I loved all that. And uh, by the way, did it ever go on from eight a.m.? I think yes. that's become a bit of a myth because I reckon well, I, I, that mm, I'm not so sure. Back in that, back in the real kind of peak golden era days of the late 80s early 90s i'm pretty sure it did start at did nine it? i mean there's a gray area between what counts as programming and what counts as kind of fa cup tangential programming but it's all it all counts yeah and and so as far as i'm concerned you, you've saved yourself there so presumably in the sort of the late 80s kind of time saint greasy were very much at the forefront of the fa cup and that leads us on to your next love of football yeah it does retro tv shows i just mm. love it i think we are going through just a little bit of a period at the moment where we are celebrating some shows of the past. And it seems particularly pertinent as, as we're talking, doesn't it? Obviously, the passing of Ian St. John this week. And, mm-hmm. you know, arguably the greatest of, of yeah. those particular of that particular genre, Saint and Greavesy. Someone like me, born, born 1970 and kind of, you know, grew, grew up then and kind of really massively into football at that time. I don't remember Ian St. John as a, as a footballer, but he was an absolute god along with Greavesy because of that show. I mean, that show on a Saturday lunchtime was just fantastic. And it was brilliantly entertaining, brilliantly good fun and a complete groundbreaker, by the way, as well. Because everyone used to watch Football Focus and it was deadly serious and kind of you'd yeah. watch it. But these were, these were two ex-pros just having such a ball and such having mm. such good fun and just really laughing and, you know, taking the mickey out themselves, having, you know, getting people involved in it and kind of they, they were buying into it. And it just set a whole, you know, set in motion the wheels for kind of, you know, the soccer AM, you know, and kind of, you know, everything that sort of kind of followed and every sort of, um, you know, fantasy football with Badil and Skinner. And it was just it, that that was the groundbreaking without, without a shadow of a doubt. So it set off a whole new generation. But I, I, you know, also widening it. I think we've kind of got the big match revisited going on, and, and Saturday yeah. mornings at the moment. I used to love those kind of, you know, the, the uh, they, they would show. I think the BBC made it as well. The, the kind of showing uh, the, their equivalent of, but ITV would do the kind of the, the big match, and they'd do a five-year block, and some of the games and some of the incidents, and it's just brilliant entertainment. And and I just love that and the, and the classic World Cups. I mean, I I think the eighty two World Cup is the best World Cup in of all time. And I think some Oof. you know there was a great show about about that recently. And um, you know it's just some of the some of the football 
I think deserves to be deserves to be celebrating. There's a wonderful you know period I think at the moment of retro TV shows which I'm loving. So, I mean, given the format of the show, which, I mean, for, for people who aren't aware of it, I mean, and as I look at this Zoom call, it's kind of a gradient of consciousness of St. Greasy from mega fan to someone who's aware of its existence, but was kind of about 18 months away from understanding what it could possibly be. And then you've got baby Charlie here who simply never watched um, terrestrial TV in his entire life. Um, <laughs> but let's the format of it was incredibly chatty. So you, you've got two ex-players, one one ostensibly a very good broadcaster and the other kind of a, a bit looser, shall we say, having a very informal chat about football. I mean, there's a clip I saw, and there's so many clips flew about this week, but there was a clip where they were choosing their kind of world 11 of the greatest players they've ever seen uh, slash played with. And they were discussing the goalkeeper and it just came down to big Lev in goal, which I thought <laughs> you just wouldn't hear. I mean, I mean for all their merits and, it, uh, and many merits, uh, Carragher and Neville, you probably kind of wouldn't imagine this sitting again. Yeah, probably big Lev in goal. It just, it doesn't quite, doesn't quite work. So, is it there was no kind of inherent chattiness about it that just wouldn't work in 2021? It wouldn't, and there was a couple of features that really, uh, really stand out. I mean, they did get up to some wacky things. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the wackiest of all was arguably going to going to the states, and somehow, when we didn't know him as the, as the person that he is today, getting Donald Trump to do the Rumbelows <laughs> Cup draw in, in Trump Towers. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, because it's the same thing, I think the basic Greavesy makes this quip about saying, oh, nice, nice pad you've got here, Donald. And he doesn't, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump doesn't know quite what to say, you know, sort of thing, really. And then I think he draws Man United Liverpool out as a plum tide, isn't he? Um, basically, just laughing about it. And at that stage, I think you basically knew um, Donald Trump for, for, you know, vaguely over here. I think he was big at the time because, yeah, I don't know, he's, he was with, with a with a partner or something who had an immense incredible amount of shoes at the time or something like that and basically you know wasn't wasn't infamous as he is now should we say and it was just bizarre and you're looking back and you're thinking Donald Trump the former US president did the Rumbelow's cup draw I mean it's just the most ridiculous thing ever but that is the spirit of Saint and Greavesy and and the other one that I absolutely loved you know that I still think about to this day was I think it was 80, what was it, 86, 87, was it maybe? At the start of that season, they couldn't agree a TV contract. And that basically, so we had about six months with no live games. I don't think there was any coverage actually on, on TV. Can you imagine that But now, by the way? I mean, it'd just be unthinkable. But basically, West Ham, in their amazing season when they finished, what was it, second, I think, wasn't it, in the end? Um, yeah. And had just bought Frank McAvenny from St Mirren. And Frank McAvenny, who, you know, was still playing and scoring goals before he becomes sort of the ultimate, you know, pastry loving, you know, kind of party <laughs> boy, basically, with his with his blonde highlights. No one knew, unless you'd seen him in the flesh at, at Upton Park, no one had the foggiest what he looked like. And he was top scorer That's in bad. the first division. And Saint and Greavesy took him out for a walk in London. And basically said to anyone in the pu in public, "Do you know who this guy is?" He was mm. top scorer in the first division, and basically, you know, obviously to to make the feature work, of course, no one recognised him, and no one <laughs> had the foggiest idea who he was. And it was just brilliant. It was so memorable. It was hilarious. Charlie, I guess this is probably one of the key reasons why a program like that wouldn't work these days, is because all that kind of concentration of 
awareness and knowledge of top level football has basically just dissolved into the mainstream like all that knowledge is out there now so I, I i fear for kind of magazine shows i fear for football focus i fear for champions league weekly because these are very general programs and even if they are presented by very nice people these are the kind of general programs that really don't have a place anymore because we're all kind of living and breathing this stuff from monday to sunday i think as well like crossy mentioned um, fancy football with Bedin and Skinner and, and and that was kind of more the thing I was watching growing up and you watch some of that back now as well and the willingness of I mean I, I think the problem is now football takes itself so seriously yeah. you know so the idea of getting players sometimes current often fairly recent pros to completely send themselves up in utterly ludicrous ways mm. I just mm. there's no way you'd even get close to that yes, sort of I thing completely now agree. Completely um, so I, I just think that spirit I think it would be it would be really, really hard. And, and, you know, there are boring issues now, things like rights holders and what they could show and all of this sort of thing. So I do think um, it, do, it does. And maybe that's why we are so nostalgic, because there is a genuine sense that you just really couldn't do much of the things that, that made those shows so special and unique. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Charlie, you mentioned football taking itself incredibly seriously. Well, Crossy, it's time to get serious because we want to hear about the things you hate about football or at least find just slightly irritating. Yeah, because as you said, I, I, I like to think of myself as a positive person. So it takes a lot <laughs> to upset me, but I always try no to be longer. positive. But basically, I'm going to kick off with annoying sayings. <laughs> And so forgive me, forgive me for, for trying... You You're know, playing forgive, to the crowd now. I sure. am, yeah, but I, yeah. I also think I'm kind of being a little bit broad here, just so I okay. can squeeze things in from a couple of different aspects, really. And the one yeah. that has really got me, and I'm sure we, Adam, I'm sure we've had this exchange on Twitter, I'm positive that we have, but about the ridiculous, <laughs> some of the ridiculous sayings in commentary right now. And my mm-hmm. current favourite stroke, hate is that ridiculous thing about f- being a foot race. A foot Every race. Every commentator says, then basically, <laughs> when, when you know, it's like, oh, I remember one from the weekend, I think, it's, and Kyle Walker is in a foot race with, mm. uh, you know, Thomas Suchek. Well, I mean, it, it, you really got, you've got to go somewhere to beat Kyle Walker in a foot race. Yeah. I mean, what else, you know, they're on the football pitch. <laughs> what else can they be doing? But I mean, take it away. They're in a race. You don't need no. to qualify in a foot race. They're not it's having really an egg and spoon race. They're not having a three legged race. <laughs> They're having a race. I mean, it's the most You're... ludicrous saying that I've come across. But every commentator, radio, TV, you know, he, I'm, I'm Nigel Adley on the radio, who's one of the nicest guys, absolutely smashing fella. 
even he fell into the trap. And I meant to text him the other day and said, not you as well. <laughs> and it's just... Oh, I like the fact that you're chasing these people up. Oh, of course oh, I this am. This is yeah. fantastic. Like some sort of task force. Oh, it just drives me mad. You're absolutely right. Uh, you're absolutely right, Crossy. There, there does need to be some sort of intervention over foot race. I mean, I realise it's probably not one of the most pressing things in society right now, but why do they say it? Why a root and branch it? review. Oh, I wonder a root if... root and branch with, review, with, that's a belter. <laughs> Absolute belter <laughs> While we're on it, every yeah. single England demise. <laughs> I think foot race is... Uh, two things. One, I think rhythmically, maybe it just works better than race, and so right. that's why they say it. The second thing, and this is one of my pet hates, is when people talk about like at this football club or in this football match. When we know you're talking about club or match, uh, you know, what other club would it be? You know, we know you're West Ham. You're a football club. And it's earnest emphasis, club. isn't it? Exactly, it's, yeah, it's exactly. earnest emphasis. And so I don't know if there's a similar thing here of of feeling it gives it a bit more, sort of giving it a serious. real visceral feel. Yeah, yeah it's like a foot yeah, race. pounding the turf. I don't know. Um, but foot race aside, you, you, I mean, you're about to turn on your own here, Crossy, because there's something that really annoys you about uh, an aspect of football. Yeah, football. let me do Can I just quickly chuck in dangerous scoreline, 2-0. I mean... Oh, um, right, yes. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Corner yeah no, the other yeah. thing that I'm going to turn on my own profession, I regularly call people <laughs> out on Twitter, I have to say, for the, for the um, you know, prolific offenders, frankly, and the, the, the regular, you know, oh, God, they're driving mad, is... The journalist that writes, I understand. <laughs> I mean, I just then have the... And listen, I, I have to say, I've probably been guilty. Someone who's someone written I'm listening sure this I've will, will basically, I know. In fact, well, I, I probably have been guilty of it, but I like to think I haven't recently. I'm sure someone can find some, a tweet from somewhere. But it's just because it's grown and grown and grown and become this phenomenon. And I then have this kind of... have this, you know, vision of someone, you know, a journalist hunched over some sort of you know morse code deciphering machine saying <laughs> I, I can hear i can hear it coming through i can hear it coming through yeah. oh yes 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 sheffield wednesday are about to appoint darren moore oh it's amazing you know and it's just it's just this ridiculous thing i, I understand you know and it's just mm. no just right you know, Sheffield Wednesday are about to appoint Darren Moore rather than I understand. Why are you saying I understand? It's just... Well, it's why the are most... they saying it? You, come on, you're, you're well, part I... of the fabric of this sort of thing. I mean, what, what is it? Is it is it some sort of qualifier? Are they distancing themselves from the information? Is it just a bit of kind of a football equivalent of office speak? What is it? I mean, I've never broken a story in my life. I don't know what's going on here. I have a few theories on this. I think one is it's it's to say that it's not, I'm not just saying it because I've seen it elsewhere. It's, you know, I have this knowledge firsthand. And it's from the same school of I'm hearing that or which I don't know how you feel about that, Crossy, whether that irritates you less. Don't like it. Less, yeah, don't of, like it. It's not, yeah, not yeah. quite <laughs> as much, but, you know, yeah. don't like it. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of repeat offenders who I regularly call, oh, regularly, don't, no, regularly call out and basically WhatsApp uh, them or whatever, and then basically we invite you into the we invite you to our little bubble. They'll get tearing the industry down. And then basically, one of them story. did come back on deadline day and said, like I congratulated him on the story actually, and basically said, "Oh, well done," but you you know you still got a bit of work to do on the understand bit, and then basically. <laughs> um, he said, oh, you know, sorry about that. I said, go on, why are you saying it? And he did offer then an explanation <laughs> as basically, you know, he's still sort of kind of finding his way. I mean, very, very humble about things and basic, which you don't often find in a journalist, believe me. Um, and then basically, you know, still finding my way, you know, trying to get a few contacts together. And sometimes I like to cover myself. 
And basically, I thought that was a bit of a sort of kind of, you know, he's qualifying it. So just in case it doesn't work out, sense. then I, I can't. Well, yeah, exactly. I can, I can see that. But go on, have the courage of convictions, I think. Because some, some definitely know. And so therefore, take away the I understand and just go for it. Be strong. Actually, that's true. I have. I can remember actually one or two occasions thinking, uh, yeah, I just just in case for whatever reason this didn't then happen, the understand is a kind of insurance policy of like, well, it was only an understanding. Yeah, exactly, it was hundred percent going to happen. Yeah. Right. Well, next up, I guess this is pretty much the opposite end of the spectrum for you to your love for the FA Cup, and and you prefaced this in your in your primary email with a, you're not getting an old duffer deriding stats well you've really built it up there tell us about your hate number two expected goals oh no, no i'm really sorry Surely and i not. know this will wind up things no no more so than i suspect them basically you know I, I don't know whether you'd ever ever sort of give me the honor of listening but my great pal rory smith who basically is always, always sort of kind of you know championed this one from very early early days but basically i I, yeah, like I say, you're not getting an old duffer here deriding stats. <laughs> but basically, however, however, <laughs> I just think it, I just don't quite understand why match of the day are using it. And because, please don't get me wrong, you are you are absolutely. I can see the absolute value of kind of possession stats of you know tackles one, duels one you know, kind of regaining possession stats and all of those things, and they come into it. But what is expected goals? I mean, expected goals is is basically, and you see it in the, in the match of the day, sort of kind of, you know, panels and sort of um, captions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they come up with something like, you know, Fulham 1.38 against Man United 3.68. I mean, what does that actually mean? For match of the day, it means that yes, we went into this thing thinking that Man United would win at Fulham. I'm taking a complete random sort of kind of you know thing here, and what does it actually mean? For me, expected goals means that when a striker, I don't know, just using an example, Dominic Calvert Lewin mm-hmm. runs mm-hmm. through. If he goes through one on one or has a very very good opportunity, how many times will he convert that good opportunity or convert that one on one? And that's yep. what expected goals and why it's relevant to me. But is it is it particularly relevant to ma- uh, match of the day audience? Of course, you're going to use all the stats and information as a manager, yeah. but what relevance is that kind of expected goals yeah. for match of the day and in the wide stream? Do you see what I mean? I'm trying to sort of defend here without wanting to sound an old fuddy-duddy. But the reason we love football is because of the sheer unexpected nature of it. Not because unexpected goals. I want unexpected goals rather than expected goals. Otherwise, we lose everything that we, we love about football, which is the, you know, which is Wolves having the temerity and the audacity to equalise and flirt. It's for always about, the temerity, isn't absolutely, it? Always, always the temerity. And, and, and yeah. flirting with, with actually ending Man City's run for all of about 10 minutes, you know, sort of last night. Or, yeah. you know, before obviously Man City said, oh, go on, you've wound us up slightly now. We'll, we'll score three more. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, I, I want I want that to remain unexpected and it will never okay. be expected as far as I'm concerned. That's fine. I mean, Charlie... Th- this, it's not really this podcast's job to get into the nuts and bolts of XG, and I don't think we should. But 
it is this podcast job to kind of assess the discourse around it. And what I think it's become is the debate has become a debate about itself. We're almost talking about a standoff here between people who are sceptical about XG and people who use it incessantly and constructing a standoff that doesn't actually exist. I feel like there isn't really any conflict here. Some people use it and enjoy it. Some people use it and appreciate it. Some people use it and tolerate it. And some people don't want to use it at all. But I I, I don't really see how this, this could ever harm the consumption of football for anybody. Yeah, I've always felt with XG. I mean, I I, I think it's interesting um, as a stand as a metric. In the same way, I find some of the stats that Crossy said they're interesting. But I I've, I don't think it's a panacea. But I don't think many people do. I also don't think it's you know the end of civilization as we know it. I think it's kind <laughs> of you know it's it's right. somewhere. It, it's a it's a it's a good useful thing for me. I mean, I, I think with it as well. What's interesting is is all XG is saying is is basically the quality of chances that a team has created, which is actually often what a manager will say. You know, a manager will come out after a game and say something like, I just can't believe we haven't won that game. We've we've created all the chances, etc., etc. The opposition have done nothing. That's kind of all XG. It's a numerical way of expressing that. But obviously, you know, we're a manager, and I, I think I mentioned this on the pod uh, once before, Ven- Arsene Wenger once mentioned expected goals, and he was absolutely pir- uh, pilloried on Soccer Saturday as being mm. like, what's he talking about he's you know this is nonsense whereas actually all he was saying was basically what managers have said for eternity which is we created good chances um so i i, I personally like it and i think it's fine on match of the day i think it's kind of you know it, it has a place i think i think if all the analysis of the pundits after was obsessing over the kind of minutiae of the stats i think that would be too far but i think it flashing up uh is quite useful though xg ultras will say that uh, an XG of an individual game isn't actually that useful and you have to look at it over a longer period of time for trends and that sort of thing. So there's there's so much to this. But yeah, I think it's fine. Yeah, no, you, you, your reservations about XG are noted, Crossy, and you, you caveated it quite well. So I feel like you haven't pitched your tent anywhere too too firmly. But You've I, done an understand. Crossy yeah, you, understands <laughs> yes, that, you know. He does, he, and he literally does understand XG. But Crossy, amongst, amongst a certain... Um, element of football consumer there is there's kind of a strand of anti-xg discourse which is a bit like anti-var rhetoric as well which is based around deliberately misunderstanding what it is and i'm sort of being really sarcastic about it and um you know i, I read a piece this week which which contained the inevitable line which was you know how can how can a team score 0.8 of a goal which which and i knew full well that the that, that they understood what xg was and so i feel like sarcasm is kind of inherent to um to uh railing against these concepts yeah absolutely the the thing is that what no no other broadcasters as far as i'm aware maybe i'm I'm, i should have picked out match of the day as as my rant rather than expected goals but no other broadcaster as far as i'm aware uses expected goals in their in their main analysis does it I don't, okay. I don't. No, Carragher, Carragher does on Monday Night Football yeah, quite often. You know, he gets yeah, up his yeah. But I'm, I mean, perhaps in the highlight show, I guess Monday Night yeah, Football sure. is, that, is, is the same. Of course, it is. But it just, it, it's just on on that Saturday night. I guess it, the, the highlights then to use expected goals <laughs> just seems out of kilter, out of step. And and funny enough, you know, Charlie, I was at that Arsene Wenger press conference. I forget who it was, but someone that went in might have been Rory or might have been. Uh, Jonathan Wilson, I can't quite remember, but basically someone went in with an agenda to say, I want you to say that how much, how, you know, that basically well. how mm. much you rely on expected goals. And 
and basically people were a little bit skeptical but sure enough he really properly bought into this and basically said mm. and you know and, and, and bought into it and there was another couple of stats we kept on that one about players but really really bought into his stats which which surprised us really just because he was you know older generation doesn't always buy into stats in you know as compared to as compared to the naked eye but no you're right i do think that basically the there's a lot of there's a lot of that sarcasm that goes around and of course you know i understand the value and the relevance and why you're using expected goals and it, it but equally I can also see that if you are showing on a match of the day mainstream show, why are you saying 1.83? You know, how could they score nearly two goals? <laughs> You've done you it. Are, I know, I, I know. It. But if you are doing that, yeah. the one thing that match of the day has never explained is what expected goals is. Can oh, you remember the explanation? Yeah. I suppose I don't know that they have. I don't think they have. So you are asking, you know, a, a nationwide audience. Some are casual yeah. football fans. Some are absolute yeah, football fans like us, and we'd like, you know, live, breathe, and word of it. But I just think you've got to, you know, my, uh, for, you know, just randomly, my wife will sit there and Maybe. watch it, and she'll watch, and she wouldn't have the foggiest <laughs> what they're going on about. Well, how can that be serving the whole audience? And that's not patronising her at all, because she, you know, enjoys watching and stuff. But if I said to her, what's that? And she'd go, what? You've got to explain it, <laughs> even if it's just a one-off show, saying this is what, you know, Gary Lineker at the top of it, so, you know, sort of all, all... But I don't, to the best of my knowledge, and I watch it every week, I don't think they've ever done that. <laughs> Really I wonder if they did. I can't remember if they did it when they first started doing it, which was the I start of. I mean, how often, how often do you have to explain it? I guess. I, I, I mm. suppose Once. Pepsi a have a refresher yes. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do it on Football Focus. I mean, they've probably got enough time to fill. Anyway, Costa, you didn't sound like an old duffer Good. at all. That Good. worries. Because I don't want to be that. But I do think it's You're very yeah. balanced. Very balanced indeed. Um, I, 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 I'm looking forward to the day where it appears as a column in the official league table as a potential tiebreaker. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, I can see it. People will enjoy it. Um, let's get on to your final hate mm. of, of football. Um, uh, fortunately, it looks like you, you won't be able to name any names here because this is a, more of a collective issue, it sounds like. Yeah, sorry, I'm sitting on the fence, really. I'm just too nice, yeah. basically. Fans right. copying chants of other supporters. <laughs> basically, it, you know, from time to time, we hear an absolute belter of a chant that is basically new, original and fun. And I just think that I think Spurs coined the, you know, Deli Alley one, you know. Well, I no, I think that you touched on something there because I remember I'm pretty sure it started with West Ham oh, with Payet. Oh, with Payet. Yes. And I think the point was Zidane's bet we um Zidane, is better than Zidane. Heart based Yeah, chunk, which right. um Yeah, exactly. Which which and the, I find this fascinating how they do spread like wildfire these ones mm. and why particular chance get chosen but anyway I think it was West Ham with Payet he's uh, better than Zidane and the point was that you're talking about another French player and there was like a direct comparison and then yeah it became Deli Ali and Ozil and, and spread yeah, I, I, I'd forgotten that I think you're right I think you're right yeah I'd forgotten that I thought I, th I thought it was Tottenham fans with Deli Ali the Arsenal fans jumped on it with Mesut Ozil which is vaguely passable because I guess mm. it's a response but then every t every team up and down the country has got their <laughs> you know it's got their mercurial midfield playmaker 
it, it, you know, running to running to the theme of this, you know, running to the tune tune of this theme. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I just think there's some you know amazing what? sort of kind of you know originality in some clubs, and I just football fans are fantastic, and I just think. Go back and sort of kind of sort out your own original. <laughs> Get your heads together. <laughs> like, do you remember the Crystal Palace one? And I haven't got a good enough voice to kind of and and that you know kind of that. Oh uh, yeah, go wait, on, wait. On. You mean the one of us has got to do it? It's not going to be me. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to remember. It's very what... hard to just sing randomly, yes. isn't it? Out loud. Yes. Don't know why. You could do I'm it. I'm just trying to. I've even given myself a little tickle in it, the throat whoa, now. Whoa, doing... whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, yes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, yes. whoa, yeah, that, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just as long as we all understand whoa, what it is whoa, we're talking about. Da, da, I've done da, it. Da, I've done da, it for da, us. Da, 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 no, no, yeah. no, 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 not, not that. that one. No, no, oh. ended badly. No, um, <laughs> no, it was. Oh, probably, we're baiting probably, you to probably, do probably, it. It's all right. We'll cut this bit out completely. Palace people out there, but to help us. But basically, it was this. It was this sort of kind of uh, sort of almost layered, uh, you know, and literally then every fan up and down the country is latched onto it. And basically everyone's doing it. It was such a Crystal Palace thing. It was as Crystal mm. Palace as Sheffield United shit butty. It really was. And yet suddenly everyone's hijacked it. And you can imagine, can you imagine the latte sipping classes at the Emirates all of a sudden singing about chip butties? No. He's turned on his own again. I can't believe because it. Because it's, it, it's their song. So, you know, come up with something else. And it's just, yeah. you, I love football songs. And I, football songs are just, you know, when, when someone, you know, comes up with a good one, it just makes you giggle, doesn't it? And it's just, you love it so much. It is much. brilliant, yeah. And, and but, you know. The originality. You know this this is this is what I thought across you before. I thought you were too positive, so your negatives would be some uh, a kind of bastardization or an anti something positive, and that's exactly what this is. You're yes, saying that, that there's such is. a brilliant canon of football songs. Mm. Let's not uh, let's not dilute it. Let's come up with our mm. own ones. But, but when Crossy suggested this, I thought, you know what, this is quite a trifling thing, almost perhaps too trivial for us. I thought, oh, I don't know what we're no. going to be able to talk about here. And then the more I thought about it. The more irritated by it I became, actually, like the, 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 kind of, the sensation, <laughs> the sensation of hearing a quite obviously borrowed football chant, and I don't mean I don't mean across decades, you know, yeah. where, where a, a standard football chant will kind of flood its way across the game. I think it's because because the lifespan has shortened so much, um, you get the kind of double irritation. I mean, and, and I, you know, it's I'm very surprised that we're we're hammering football fans at all here but we are and, and let's face it but there are two kind of phases of the lifespan of, of a new football chant and that's based on a new tune that that are quite grating first of all it's when that chant appears for the first time at all mm. it means that someone somewhere came up with it and maybe practiced it or kind of a kind of workshopped it somewhere which completely removes the magic of it so it, it Football chants should just exist. They shouldn't come from anywhere. They shouldn't. They, you shouldn't see them being created. They should just exist and be enjoyed. So that's the first part. And then, of course, the second part, as you point out, is that when another set of fans have just looked at it and gone, wow, that sounds really good. How can we shoehorn it into a player of our own? And you can see it. You can see the kind of bricks being put together in the song. And you think, oh, no. this It seems so... Mm inorganic is, is that the best way of putting it you can see the joins yeah you can yeah definitely, definitely. i just think that what, what do you remember there was that one um there was that like hey hey reza ooh, ah, and, and that was one that absolutely spread everyone had their version of that one um oh, yeah. in around 2001 there was also what was that one? Oh, well, there was the sloop john b the like 
oh, this is good. the best strip and everyone had their version yeah. of that yeah um i don't I, I don't i can't pinpoint exactly what's irritating about it i mean you know and i don't mean irritating as i don't approve of this i just mean in a kind of it 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 kind of it gets me on a deep neurological level. But, I mean, are we going to have court cases about this sort of thing? Crossing? Well, we Is should have a landmark issues. legal case. We should have copyright <laughs> issues. We really should. But I just, I, I just think it's so funny, isn't it? That basically it's... The fun, I, I guess on the flip side of it, it, it was quite funny to hear, you know, I don't know, suddenly Burnley fans singing about, you know, Robbie Brady or Dwight McNeil or something, you know, <laughs> suddenly inserting him. I mean, it's just quite, it's quite amusing. I was racking my brain last night because I did hear a fantastic one about, you know, uh, uh, about, uh, you know, sort of fairly, shall we say, certainly wasn't those two, but a fairly average player from a lower end Premier League team. And I was thinking, oh, who was it? Who was it? And I couldn't, answer was on the postcard, but it's just, I couldn't, I couldn't then place it. But it, yeah. was, it just swept the country. And every mm. football fan was doing the same. And that, that, yeah, it just it know. just feels like newer, the newer and more newfangled the combination of chant and tune. Yeah, the worse it becomes. Maybe it just becomes a bit yeah too much of a production line. But I mean, the final question here then, you know, on on this theme, Crossy, who are by far the greatest team the world has ever seen? <sighs> I think. I th- well, you know, it's got to be in the moment, hasn't it? Because it's got to be Manchester City. So they're the only ones allowed to sing it? Yeah. So basically, otherwise, you know, it always makes me laugh, that. Because basically, I, don't worry, I can see where you're coming from here. But basically, <laughs> it always makes me laugh that, you know, I go to... So, so, I actually really... It's funny you should say that, because I went to a game the other day and... No, that's right. I watched a game on telly and they were playing. You know, you can hear this sort of kind of each each um, feed has a different sort of, uh, you know, um, I don't know, sometimes they're louder than others. Sometimes you have the sort of the home chants and stuff. But I could swear that, that basically there was a game the other day that I watched and it had the team early on saying, we're by far the greatest team the world has ever seen to that that, mm. that that music in an empty stadium. And I'm thinking, well, no, you're not. No, you're not. And it's just, you know, we've all been to silly games where you sort of kind of, you know, Stoke have come out at, at Britannia and stuff and, and basically by far the greatest team and whoever it might be. And it's, no, no, you're really not. You, you know, it's just it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. The great, you can only say that. You can't fact-check football chance. You, you, can't, you can't, but, I, I, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the best team around, like the unquestionably best, the, the kings, the masters of the moment, they're the only ones entitled to sing that song. Everyone else is just, sorry, blagging. Okay, I think... We've settled it. We've settled it. We've, I mean, we've achieved a lot today. Mm. We've doomed at least one unnamed young English teenager to a, to a full <laughs> start of an international career. What else have we done? We've, we've torn apart the FA Cup and examined the pieces. And it turns out it's actually all right after all. Fair play to the FA Cup. Well done, everybody there. Um, it turns out you don't want fans back because you like hearing what managers and players have to say. Didn't expect that from you, Crossy. <laughs> I thought you, I thought you liked the fans. slight twirl on that Big one. Big shame. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, we've, we've kissed goodbye to Understand the Understand Crossy does not <laughs> want fans back at ground. 
uh, yeah, we've paid tribute to the golden age of the retro TV show, which was which was a lovely touch, a very nice touch. In fact, three three clap emojis for you there, Crossy. Um, we've picked apart some annoying sayings. I'm all with, I'm with you on foot race. Oh, definitely. Let's let's let's. Can we start a campaign? What can we do? Let's. Well, let's so break one thing thing we the mirror. Do. It could be the latest mirror campaign. Well, we should yeah. do one thing. We should do right is basically start this campaign next week because we should, in the meantime, have a sweep. On this weekend, about how many times <laughs> foot race is used in radio and TV commentary? <laughs> I'll keep a chart. Because I, I reckon it's definitely, definitely going to be twelve at the at the oh, very gosh. least. And then yeah. on the back <laughs> Such of that, precise figure. oh well, it, it's you know I'm going high. I'm going fairly high because it's just. It's <laughs> I thought just you were ridiculous. going to go double figures. You, you twelve watch, is you good. watch it. It's going to crop up. You're not Bernie Johnson suggesting some sort of model while you're. Well, we're we're kind of predicting the number of um, things that might happen in a certain game, because <laughs> that would be that would be that would be most ludicrously, yeah, yeah, that would be ludicrous. <laughs> um, anyway, um, you have been by far the greatest guest this podcast has ever seen. <laughs> Thank you um, very much. Really appreciate, really appreciate you coming no, on. I've really it's been, enjoyed. I've been really enjoyed this this hour or so of of chatting about your loves and hates of football. Um, you really have delivered. Thank you so much. Oh no, pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, Charlie. See you another time. Thank you. And see everyone else next week. Cheers. The Athletic. <laughs>